Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Good to be with you again. Good, good to be with you. I don't know if you heard that, but after I said hello, there was the sound of a cat stretching. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm not sure I'd recognize the sound of a cat stretching. Oh, well, it, you, you've been around cats as many years as I have, and as many cats as I have, you recognize it instantly. And uh, <laughs> usually I have the door closed in my office when I record, and the cats are on the other side. Today, um, two of the cats decided to sleep here. And rather than waking them up, one is sleeping between the keyboard and the monitor. And I've allowed him to stay here. And he will hopefully stay quiet throughout the show. If at some point I say I need to take a moment um, to let, <laughs> let him out, that may happen. But the hey, dog will not be coming in to bother me. Oh, I was going to say that would double our audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk the, the, the news this week. You know, this story, There's a bunch of stuff going on in Ontario. Yeah, this 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 business with raising the minimum wage and del- it, it, revealing it like he's Moses on Mount Sinai. Uh, <laughs> no one ever thought of it before. It It's angering to me because this is the guy who one of the first things, if not the first thing he did was cancel Kathleen Wynne's. Uh, planned jump to $15 minimum wage back in 2019, I believe. Yep. Um, and now he's he's wearing this like a badge. Like he's, like he's his, Moses. Yeah. It's, you know, he, he's walking around like he's shining an apple. You know, how, how br- proud he is of this shiny new policy. And, you know, $15 minimum wage would be wonderful if the cost of living allowed anybody to have a living wage at $15 an hour. But it, I mean, this is a, this is a step, but the cost of living, especially in cities like Toronto and most of Canada live in large cities, unlike in the United States. So the cost of living in large cities, $15 an hour, it means maybe you sweat slightly less, but you're still sweating. You're still not sure what bills you're going to pay this month? You're still not sure. Does it go to roof over your head or food in your stomach? You know, it's uh, this is not any kind of. We should not be proud of a fifteen dollar minimum wage, is what I'm saying. And for Ford to be trumpeting it like it's some great victory that he came up with after he was the they, people could have been earning fifteen dollars an hour for about a year and a half now, and he put the the, the kibosh on that, and now he comes out daring to uh, champion a policy that he demonized on the election trail. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 15 bucks is certainly better than 14 bucks, but, uh, you know, like you say, in the big cities, so, you know, the, uh, the, the, the poverty line in, in Canada um, for urban centers in Canada, you know, um, families of four, most urban centers in Canada have to have total incomes in excess of $60,000 a year to escape poverty. Most of those rent will take up almost half of that. Mm-hmm. Um, at $15 an hour, if it's a 40 hour work week, for those who still work 40 hour work weeks and 50 weeks a year is $30,000. So it's, it's, it's exactly half of what you need to just touch the other side of the poverty line um and you know it's it's like you said you know it, it was 
in in uh, the Kathleen Wynne uh, budget, it was uh, one of the things that she campaigned on. It was actually in, in law. It was going to come in and Ford clawed it back. And, you know, here it is three and a bit years later. And he's now doing it, like you say, like, like it's his idea. And the way he did it, you know, two things about it, you know, the way he did it, he really has honked off a lot of small business people um, because, you know, this takes effect January 1st, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, we don't have time to, you know, we're barely scraping by COVID, you know, subsidies are, are coming off all the rest. Uh, those are a lot of his voters, you know, the small business people are his voters. I mean, to big companies, you know, it makes a little bit of a difference. I think most of the big companies, I mean, if you're Ford and, and, and the other ones, you're already paying well over uh, the, the minimum wage because, you know, those are, are high-skilled, semi-skilled jobs and unionized and, and there's money. But, you know, for, for the small people, uh, you know, the restaurants who now, you know, the waiters have always had or, or servers have always had a, um, a, a different minimum wage, which was in the $12 range. That's going up to 15 and, uh, you know, because it was always 12 something plus tips, it was supposed to make up the difference. Um, now it's, it's also going to 15. So a lot of bars and restaurants are screaming murder and just politically for Ford, it just seems like a very strange thing. So you know, they pull these things just to death. So obviously they've decided that a f the people that they're going to honk off with a $15 minimum wage is going to be offset, they hope, by the people who are going to be happy that they're now receiving a $15 minimum wage. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I'm not quite sure because, I mean, he is burning his base. I mean, you know, he's trying to cast himself as this, this, this man of the working man. Uh, you know, he, and he's, uh, you know, the, the millionaire, son of a millionaire. Um, father is a career politician. He's been, you know, working in, in daddy's uh, Deco Labels factory. You know, until he, he inherited it himself and, and been a career politician you know, since he first got elected to city council uh, during uh, Rob Ford's uh, last tenure. But, you know, so he's not, he's not a working stiff. He's never been a working stiff. But, you know, the working people, the people who show up at Ford Fest, they love him. They think that he's one of the people, which I always think is, is, is ridiculous. I mean, economically, he's not one of the people um, in terms of, you know, manners and, and 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 other things well you know maybe maybe he is a little more down to earth uh than than the rest of us and i think but, that's just that's just folksy speaking that's a that's a veneer oh absolutely i mean it's a it's a put on i mean it's a populist put on i don't think uh you know i you know i don't think he uh, has a lot of lot of time uh to uh to socialize i think he likes to you know wade into the crowd and get the photos and shake hands yeah, and, I, th I think he legitimately is rough around the edges I think that that, yes, he's different from a lot of politicians in that he is legitimately rough around the edges. He is, there's a word in Yiddish, prost, which means common, but with more uh, negative connotations. Mm -hmm. Boorish is probably the, the better interpretation of that word. And that's the way he comes across to me. He's boorish. He's, you know, uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. He's got money, but that doesn't give him any class. And he's so he does resonate differently than someone like a, a Justin Trudeau, who has the manners and the grace 
and oh, that particular oh, people, and, and he's hated for it. I mean Justin Trudeau's hated I mean that whether it's the silver spoon stuff even though there's people who who are far richer and and, and had uh, equally privileged upbringings who uh, who point the finger at Adam they absolutely hate the the privilege that uh, and the uh, you know the manners and the the the, the wit and the, the the you know the the supposed smarminess and all the rest of the stuff you know those things you know they, it drives them just just viscerally crazy when they see uh, Justin Trudeau on the other side of that thing. I mean, I and, and I'm like you. I see the boorish side of uh, of Doug Ford, um, and uh, you know, there's a you know, there's certainly a, there, there's a political cunning to him. He's done really really well for himself, um, but uh, you know, a man of the people, um, I don't think so. But you know, doing things like this. Uh, you know, the $15 minimum wage where he's, he is prepared to burn some of his base, um, you know, without consulting them, you know, this was, was jumped, dumped on him by surprise. Um, you know, there's no consultations, there's no, no anything. So someone in the back room looked at the polling numbers and said, you know what, we're going to get a bump if we do this, we may lose it over here, but we're going to gain a little bit more over here. You know, the people who are clinging to uh, to their lives by a you know the skin of their teeth, who are barely making ends meet or not making ends meet, the people who rely on and will will see a life change in the raising of a dollar per hour, those people are not Doug Ford voters. Those people lean towards NDP, and I don't know does does he think that he's going to steal Andrea Horvath's base. Um, he's not going to get people who are living in the poverty line voting for him. He gets the the middle class, lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class, uh, business owners, homeowners. Those are the people who are his natural constituency. And he's, as you pointed out, he's you know giving them a shiv in the back with this because there was no time for them to, I mean, with the plan that Kathleen Wynne had, there was advance warning that this is going to go up on this date. And they had months, if not a year or so to, to gear up for it. So they had time to alter their business planning or to figure out how to handle it. This is a very sudden change. It occurs, it basically is occurring instantly, considering how politics works, for something to be announced uh, this month and to be enacted in January, it's split second. And I, you know, he is politically cunning, as you said. Um, he does know how to read the rubes, but I'm wondering what the play is here. I, I don't think people who are making $14 an hour now, who all remember that he cut off $15 an hour when he got elected, they, they remember that, are now going to sing his praises because he's finally signed on to $15 an hour. These are people who also require, in many cases, other social programs and helps that he's probably cut. Uh, the, the gambit here doesn't make sense to me. No, and... I'm going to disagree with you a little bit because I do think that a lot of the minimum wage people, and, and you know, you've you've had a life in politics, 
a long time ago, I had a life in politics too, and I was always surprised by the fact, and we see this in spades in the United States with, with the Trump supporters and, and the Republicans in the Deep South. I mean, there's a reason why the Deep South always votes Republican, the party of billionaires. Uh, they are the poorest of the states in the United States. You know, and, and people living well below the party, I mean, a lot of those states don't even have a minimum wage, but they vote Republican, they vote against their interests. And I think that there is, I mean, certainly the, the people you can count on to come out and vote, uh, if you're a conservative, are from your lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class areas. Um, that's sort of your natural consistency, uh, constituency. But once you get below there into real working class uh near the poverty line people you know not just people who are who are work with their hands or blue collar or or uh you know or, or, or work at a factory but people you know who, who are do do this kind of you know we're making 14 and change an hour to the extent that they do go out and vote and a lot of them actually don't vote um just just statistically uh, but they're just as likely to vote conservative as they are to vote NDP. Um, I, I ran across it, you know, if, whenever I've door knocked or anything in, a, in an election campaign, which, you know, I haven't done for, for, for a long, long time, you'd run into people who literally had nothing. And they said that they were going to vote for Mike Harris or other conservatives um, because there's something in their platform, whether it's an anti-immigrant stance or, you know, tough on welfare cheats, even though, you know, they may be, you know, have welfare recipients in their own family, uh, but it never applies to them. It's always the other guy who's doing the cheating. A lot of those people have a strong conservative ideological, um, you know, to the extent that they're, they're ideological at all. But, you know, if they, if they hear a message that resonates, the message that resonates is the conservative one, you know, the fiscal responsibility and the, you know, the meanness to, uh, to other people, even though, you know, it's, uh, it's cutting their own throats. So I'm not sure. I mean, the saving grace is in, in, in our system for, for, uh, um, for the other parties is that a lot of those people are not among the demographic that turn out in great numbers at election time. Um, when they do turn out, you do get a Mike Harris or you get a Doug Ford. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I mean, conservatives have become the politics of resentment. And so, but they all, they're all they always have been when they run on a camp, uh, you know, a, a platform like Mike Harris did, which was all about demonizing this person, that person, the other person. There was always somebody that some that that the average voter could align themselves with that they also hated and they also yeah. resented. And so that would be the thing, because yeah, voting is very emotional for most people. It's very rare that it's a higher brain function. Um, and so that resonated with them. It stuck with them. It was the thing that they carried out. All the other stuff was just noise. And it's like, you're going after those welfare cheats. I, I, work, my, I work my hours, and I don't like people sitting around doing nothing and earning money. And you know, the, so they build up the idea that there's a huge welfare cheat problem, which you know, I was running uh, under Mike Harris in 1990, the year he didn't win. Um, and we got the briefing books and we saw the, the statistics, which said that uh, welfare cheating was 0.1% uh, or 0.1% 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 or
or something of that nature. Yeah, it truly was not. Typically, it's between you know point one and point five percent of of a system whenever they've tested it. So yeah, you know, it's it's, it's, it's it's nothing. It's it's minuscule, but the way that they talked about it, making it seem like it was rampant, got a lot of people upset. You know, talking about people, you're you're hardworking. You don't like people sitting around doing nothing and earning money. And no, no, I don't like that. It, okay, you don't like it, but it doesn't happen. And they made it seem very real that it was happening. They connected to these people's sense of uh, being wronged, um, of being made suckers, that they were working while their people sat around and took their tax money. And it resonated. And conservatives since Mike Harris have tried to use those, you know, they call them wedge issues, their resentment issues. Um, they just present this rogues gallery that they fabricate of people that, exist or in such a small number that it's irrelevant or that don't even really exist and they get people riled up and you know they become the conservatives become the party that's going to defend you against that which riles you up and yeah. but it i mean it hasn't worked uh i think that uh ford got elected largely because he wasn't kathleen Wynne. Kathleen Wynne was, had been, the Liberals had been in power a long time. Uh, I think she got sandbagged by Dalton McGuinty, who I don't think gets enough, nearly enough scrutiny for what he did when he was in office. She was honest about the options that are available to us instead of kicking the can down the road like everyone else said, this is what we need to do for hydro, hydro billing. Um, and people hated her for being a sober, responsible politician. And she was easy to paint her as being uh, somebody who is insensitive to the uh, the pocketbook of the average person, um, and Ford went in, you know, with his homilies and his folks and all that other stuff. Seemed, yeah, he seemed like he was of the, you know, he he's the person you'd like to go fishing with, you know, to use a U.S. term. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't this time around. I, I mean, they're still leading. The provincial conservatives are still leading in Ontario, um, but that doesn't say anything. We're still months from an election. Um, Del Duca has yet to really establish himself as a presence and as an alternative. He's made some interesting promises, which have gotten very little play because we're not in an election cycle. Um, be interesting to see if the dissatisfaction with Ford is strong enough for people to say, let's go with somebody else. Or do they just hold their nose and say, at least we know who he is with all of his faults? Well, and it's interesting, too, because the airwaves, uh, you know, there's a lot of commercials, there's a lot of radio ads right now that are targeting uh, Del Duca, uh, you know, conservative ads and and NDP, uh, you know, Horvath as well. You know, the conservatives have, have two problems. One, you know, there's a cap on election spending once the rate gets dropped. So mm -hmm. and they're awash in money. Uh, because their developer friends have been very, very good to them. And uh, so they've got this big treasury and they've got to spend it. So I found it interesting that they were training their sites, not on the opposition, not on Andrea Horvath and the NDP, but on Del Duca, who yeah, a handful of seats and, uh, you know, not, like you said, not a great presence uh, yet. I mean, he's, he's trying hard. Uh, actually, you know, um, Shiner, the, uh, the green is, is more of a go-to for comment when it comes to, um, you know, things that the Ford government's doing for the media, you know, he's always uh, out in front of the microphones giving his comment. So they're not, but it's really interesting that the, the conservatives have started on a campaign 
you know, they're trying very, very hard to, to tie Del Duca to McGinty and, uh, and Kathleen Wynne, while, you know, he was kind of a side player during that. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a big, big, big stretch to say that he was a, a key architect of, uh, of government policies under the last time the Liberals ran Ontario. But, you know, the uh, Conservatives are trying very hard to, uh, to paint him that way, and the NDP is trying to paint him that way as well in their own ads yeah and it just it, it just isn't true um is it but you know that's not necessarily important in politics but you know the conservatives you know where, where you spend your money tells you where, where where their polls tell that they're weak so you know they want to get in front of this and it's an old uh harper did this for ages um just you get out early and plant the message so when the election hits people have got a preconceived bias one way or another so they're more receptive to your election message so this is you know the, the campaign that you know you hear on the radio and see on on tv all the time right now against the two uh, other parties in ontario is softening them up so you know their election message will 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 land uh, and be viewed more favorably at the time and like i say they got money to burn at this point but it's interesting to see you know that it tells you sort of what their internal polling is telling them about who the uh, who uh, who is going to be their uh, competition in the ne in the next uh, in the upcoming election, which is only uh, is it seven months away, eight months away. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be here in no it time. Is, it is looming. Um, yeah, it's it, it. I find it really weak. Like the thing is that Del Duca has so little presence that they need to tie him to presences that people recognize. McGinty and Win. McGinty is so far in the rearview mirror that I don't think you get any traction with tying him to McGinty. No, not at all. Nothing. Um, and I think many people, I wouldn't say many people, I'd say that there, is a, there are a number of people, a significant number of people who hear Wynn's name and think, you know what, it was better under her. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, it wasn't flashy. I mean, the thing about McGinty is, he was not a flashy personality is maybe putting it mildly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you don't get this visceral reaction to, to once I was, you know, the bad old McGinty days and you're going like, well, what were those? I mean, there was something about a canceled power plant, but aside from that, I can't think of a single thing uh, under, under McGinty and Kathleen Wynn, you know, everyone was mad about hydro rates, but you know, anyone who looks at their hydro bill now uh, realizes that they're paying more uh, today, quite a bit more than they paid under Kathleen Wynne. Um, so, you know, and that, that was one of the, the real touchstone issues of, of the last provincial election. Uh, there is a woman up in uh, up in the uh, the Bob Cajun area who was going on and on about uh, you know I'm I'm a, I'm a, a pensioner and my hydro rates are driving me you know out and she became a real mini media personality for that election you know and it turned out that she was renting out her half of her house uh, to someone in you know big uh, it, it, you know it's uh, it, it looked like her uh, her hydro bills were were ridiculously high for for anyone who knows. Uh, you know, you know what uh, you know using baseboard heating and all kinds of things to drive up your bill um but the image of it really torpedoed uh, wind so and again ford says you know, whether it's the buck of beer or any of the other sorts of things says you know i'm going to i'm going to take uh, you know 10 cents off the tax uh, of your uh, of your gas at the pump 
And just recently he was challenged on that saying, well, did you do that? Do you still have that? And he's like, well, you know, I'll, you know how many, when the feds, federal taxes, it's like, well, did you do it? And you know, it, it's pretty clear that he didn't actually do it. You're still not paying that 10% that he, uh, that 10 cents that he promised uh, as an election winning strategy back mm-hmm. in 2019. And again, you know, I'm going to cut your hydro rates. Well, he did cut them for a little bit, but they're now higher than they ever have been. And like you said, I think people forget this kind of stuff. So when you say people will remember that the $15 minimum wage was a Kathleen Wynne budget item and was scheduled to come into effect three years ago, and they're going to see, well, Ford is just, you know, retreading that old tire and he's, uh, and, and this was really a liberal win idea. I don't know if people are going to remember that because they don't remember what they had for breakfast. I think a lot of people are going to look at it and go like, this is a great Ford initiative without, with a complete ahistorical view of, of promises made in the past by other parties. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, social media is not an arbiter of what public oh, opinion actually is. It's not the world. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> But on so, my social media feeds, I've seen people very, very clear that this was something that uh, when had legislated that he killed and people could have been earning this already. Yeah. Uh, and the newspapers have been saying it too, but again, that that's a different sphere of, of, of awareness than, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of people who are predisposed to vote uh, Ford in the first place. Yeah. It, and I suppose that the businesses who are, who are yelling about this now, and I don't mean to, to, to dismiss their concerns, uh, an increase in your operating budget for some of these companies that, you know, barely survived COVID and are still, you know, still pushing along, trying to get ahead again. Uh, this, is a, this is jarring to them. But I suppose the case he's going to make is if you go, to, go with the liberal, the NDP, they're going to be worse for you. So you're better off still sticking with me. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. And, uh, and again, we're in a pre-election period where they make tons of uh, promises. I mean, the, uh, the, the, the mini budget, the economic statement was just out, uh, just out just before we started uh, to, uh, to chat today. And, uh, and again, you know, they, they claim that the $15 uh, raise is going to, uh, is going to uh, boost pay for, uh, for, for almost three quarters of a, uh, um, three quarters of a million uh, workers in Ontario. Mm-hmm. So it affects a lot of people going from 1435 to 15 bucks. But again, it's 65 cents an hour is really the, is it, that's not going to be life-changing for anyone. And, uh, you know, we've had all kinds of, uh, employers, you know, moaning that they can't get people to come and work for them post COVID and they blame subsidies and CERB and all kinds of other things. A lot of those programs are already gone at this point, but a lot of people just took the time to look at their lives and go like, you know what, this is a really crappy job and it's not worth doing for this kind of money. And so now they're saying, well, the small businesses are saying, we got to bring in foreign workers. We got to bring in people who, you know, are, who are, are willing to, to be exploited. Well, who are used to making $2 a day back in, in the Philippines or in Vietnam or in wherever. And, uh, you know, they'll be grateful for the jobs. And, you know, if they're not grateful for the jobs, we can just send them home again. Um, it, it's that kind of predatory uh, employment uh, situation that, uh, I, you know, $15 an hour is 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 a tiny band-aid on the problem of uh, not paying people fairly in Ontario. But again, 
uh, it, it's making no, it'll make nobody happy because 65 cents an hour isn't going to make a big, big difference. You know, it's three years late and it's not gonna make a big difference to people's lives. And it, it, it may just be one more insult to the small business people who've had a tough time in Serb um, saying, you know, we weren't consulted and now we've got to pay more money to, for people. Uh, you know, so I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what Ford was thinking when he did this, because it just seems to me he's making nobody happy. Yeah, I can't. Well, I mean, we'll see. Yeah. You know, uh, it seems like a, a wrongheaded move, but somebody somewhere must have made the case. Hey, what, yeah. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> what do we know? We're just what talking. Do I know. Yeah, I just say exactly. It's like, uh, you know, I, I, the liberals do stuff all the time that I scratch my head at and go like, well, that's a loser of a, a thing. And it turns out to be incredibly popular. So just just shows you how out of touch I am. Well, let's talk about that economic statement. Is there much to say? Well, it's, I mean, it, it seems to focus on two things. I mean, it's, it's a big, forgive me for not having read, uh, let me just say the 179 page plan called Build Ontario. I mean, it's a real infrastructure bill. Oddly enough, it's kind of what uh, was was the United States and Joe Biden has been trying to pass in a much bigger uh, sense. Um, it's, it really is supposed to be an infrastructure bill. And it's really about roads and bridges and subways because they, God knows they love subways. And one of them is, you know, uh, the six lane highway 413. Um, I know conservatives love to build highways to nowhere. And yeah, it, it goes, yeah, it's, it's, it's the oddest sort of thing. I mean, they talk about it, uh, you know, it cuts across the Holland Marsh. I know uh, Europe and that part of the world, uh, the, um, you know, it goes across uh, 27 waterways and goes through in, in environmentally sensitive areas, but, you know, it'll create 700 jobs. Um, but, you know, I've never seen one of these projects has actually created those, those jobs. Um, and, and they say it'll save commuters up to 35 minutes. Well, I'm not sure, you know, where it's, it's, it's the Bradford bypass and I'm actually driving past uh, Bradford tomorrow. I'm off to, off to visit my mother who lives in uh, London, Ontario, and uh, you, you can uh, go through Bradford. And I'm not sure you could bypass it much more easily than the, the existing <laughs> road because it's like, blink, oh, there goes Bradford. Um, I'm sure it's a lovely community. I, I don't think I, I don't think I've ever spent any time there, but uh, you know, it's not the kind of thing I think that needs a bypass to save times. And previous studies have shown it would save, I think, you know, between you know, like 30 seconds and three minutes to, to have that proposed route based on traffic flow and volume and all the rest. So saving commuters, again, I'm not sure who's commuting, um, 35 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that they need to bypass it. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a make work project and reeks of some kind of kickback to his donors. Oh, someone's making money on this. Because this is, this is pointless. And you think about places where infrastructure money could be better spent. And it's aggravating to see something like this, that there, there is no real justification for it at all. No, and you know the thing that puts me in mind of these kinds of projects is Sir John e. McDonald and building the CP rail line from 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 coast to coast. You know, 
it was building a country and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of people got a lot of rich. There were tons, you know, you know the Mr. Johnny McDonald's government uh, you know, fell over the corruption that was involved in building that because the contracts were given to buddies. The land was bought, you know, land was bought up in advance. You know, there's probably a few developers up and down the, uh, the route of the uh, proposed Highway 413 who are going to get uh, really, really uh, good payoffs uh, because, uh, you know, the, the property that they're sitting on, uh, oh gosh, that highway is going to go through here. I'm going to pay you top dollar for it. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's such a, that's such a classic, really in the sense of classic going back to confederation, uh, conservative ploy to, uh, to look after your friends and have a boondoggle. So I, you know, that, that, that's going to be, you know, you know, I'm not even sure how many, how many millions, billions of dollars that that is, uh, that is likely to be, but it is, uh, you know, there's that. Um, there's uh, you know, a lot of our infrastructure is crumbling. Oddly enough, a lot of our infrastructure is crumbling because conservatives don't like to spend money on stuff. So, you know, they don't like to spend money on bridges and maintaining highways and, and, and all the rest. It just, uh, but this is gonna be the big infrastructure budget. And again, you know, they're gonna build that subway in Toronto. Um, the um, you know the Ontario line that connects uh, Ontario Place with the Ontario Science Centre. Well, you know there's there's two absolute dead destinations that you're connecting <laughs> a subway to. I, yeah. In the day, I loved the Science Centre as a nerdy kid. I thought it was great. It's a little tired, and you know its purpose in life is is maybe you know with with uh, online and all the other kinds of stuff that you now have access to. Maybe it's time has passed and the Ontario place has been this white elephant, you know, since, uh, you know, since the, uh, since the sixties, sixties and seventies. Um, but we need a subway line that connects the two for some reason. And that's going to be, you know, incredible disruption to, to the, anyone who lives uh, along the route and a ton, a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, I know that they've got, plans for Ontario Place, for rejuvenating Ontario Place, and I guess having a subway that terminates there will facilitate more people going there. So I understand that plan. The Science Center, well, it, it's the, it's Eglinton. It's, uh, you know, the, they're reaching to Eglinton, which I, which I think is advantageous. Uh, I think the Science Center being there is kind of coincidental. Yeah. Science Center, when I was a kid, yeah, the Science Center was wow. You know, I remember those those uh, escalators with the sounds of birds chimed in, and there was oh, always about that. Yes, there was always neat stuff, little clubhouses where you could direct a sonic ear and listen to somebody across the room, in, not very <laughs> yes. poorly, but you could hear it. Um, there was you, you could know, like tic tac toe against a computer. Yeah, when we were and, kids, and people lined this up, stuff mattered. Yeah, this stuff was exactly. cool back then. When you go to the display where they would make make your hair stand on end, that uh, that show where you'd stand with the the scientist in the lab coat and oh, they take volunteers, the Vandegraaff, Vandegraaff and they would make, generator yeah, and make your hair stand on end. I mean, mm -hmm. Kids today, <laughs> this won't even muster a yawn. No, no. When you know when you you see the stuff that's on YouTube, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not even gonna. I'm I'm not even gonna finish the 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 thirty second video for that. Yeah, and I was at this is all, this is a few going back a few years now, but not that many years. Uh, took young family to uh, to see the science center. They were from they moved here from elsewhere, and uh, I, I remember thinking that they were really trying to update. 
but it showed that they didn't have the funding. Um, even though there was corporate sponsors for things, it just, it was, I felt it was kind of sad. The whole place was kind of sad. It's, it's less a science center than it is a museum at this point in time. Yeah, uh, a museum to the, to the 60s and 70s. Yeah, um, but, uh, you know, a, a subway to Eglinton, which is a major street. Okay, I, I get that. Sure. Um, well, and there's tons of development going on in that corner, too. Just to the north of that is a big redevelopment area. And, and oddly enough, you know, the, uh, the, the Eglinton LRT goes right through there. And, you know, it's created an enormous amount of wealth for people who own property along there because it was kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean, going to the Science Center was always a, a, a big, you know, you know, got on the bus and you're like, where the hell are we? Um, and now, you know, it's going to be the crossroads of two major uh, hubs. And so people around there who have property are going to be uh, are going to be very very rich and like i say it's going to be it's you know the 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 four um the uh highway 14 uh, 413 is you know supposedly going to take about 10 billion dollars to build um and so that know, means expected to cost about 18 oh 18 and they say you know that they have a I, I always love these construction uh, timelines too, where they say that uh, it's going to, uh, um, they're, they're going to start building it in the fall of 2022 and it'll be completed by 2024. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you, you no, know, it you, won't. you can't get a bathroom put in in that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, no, it won't. Try 2026 at the yeah. earliest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, it's amazing that they still put forward these completion dates when they've never managed to to come anywhere near completion dates listed for other projects that that they've funded and they still come forward with these completion dates that everyone looks at them and says no, no that's not that's not true that's no. not, so why why not just you know under promise and over deliver tell us it's going to take till 2027 and then finish it in 2026 and you look great <laughs> well, yeah, it, uh, but you know, I guess I guess that's not the way tendering uh, on projects works. And uh, no, you know, it's they, the biggest but, lie wins. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, they just keep change. It's cheaper to change the signs on the uh, on the hurricane fencing outside of the construction thing to a different date than it is to actually uh, you know give you anything realistic. Well, speaking of realistic, I think that uh, we're starting to deal with how realistic is it that we're going to get full vaccination in in Ontario and in Canada. Um, I think we've done very well. We're in the, the mid 80s uh, with vaccinations. And that's great. I mean, I think we're up there with, you know, in the top five of countries in the world with a vaccination rate like that. Uh, certainly better than our neighbors to the south, which is dismal. But even with, you know, people started to get fired. People started November 1st. People had been warned uh, in, in hospitals and other places that if they didn't comply with the vaccine mandate uh, or provide a believable uh, exemption, then they were going to be suspended without pay for a period of time. And then if they still don't have the vaccinations, they'll be terminated. And that started already. It's actually started yeah. affecting healthcare in hospitals. They're short people because, and it scares me that there are people in hospitals who are anti-science, though I suspect 
most of those people are support workers and not actually doctors and scientists. Um, but it started to happen. And I mean, now we're going to discover how many of those people are really resolute, how many, it, when it was an abstract that they could lose their job, maybe they'll, you know, fight the power and all that. They, they'll be, they would have been excited by that and had their adrenaline pumping. But when it starts to become reality, um, may see some people, you know, looking over their shoulder, sneaking in and getting vaccinated. Uh, but I think that we're pretty much where we're going to be. Yeah, I, I think we, you know, we hit the ceiling some time ago in you know, the, uh, the news uh, every night still reports, you know, number of new vaccinations. And that number has not budged significantly uh, in, in literally in months. Um, the voluntary buy-in has really hit a ceiling. And, you know, we've tried education campaigns, we've had celebrities, you know, in Alberta, they are offering people a hundred bucks if you get the shot. Uh, there's, you know, we've tried all the carrots in the world to get, you know, you know we've had uh, you know, all these campaigns that, that are uh, disabusing people of the ideas of any of the myths, you know, that, uh, you know, you're going to get Wi-Fi, uh, better Wi-Fi reception, or that, you know, that it's made out of, uh, you know, ground up Chinese newspapers or, you know, all of these sorts of stories that float around. There's always a new story too. New one, there's some, there's some kind of bioluminescent uh, gene that's in it called luciferine, which, uh, you know, of course it's named after Lucifer. And, uh, you know, it, it's like, oh, you know, it's like playing whack-a-mole with these things that are, are completely ridiculous. Um, there's still stuff in there, but the people who will not get vaccinated will not get vaccinated. And certainly not voluntarily. And the only way you can do it now is with the stick, which is you don't get vaccinated. You can't do these kinds of jobs because, you know, you're in a long-term care home and you are interacting with vulnerable people. You are a teacher and you're interacting with vulnerable people. You're, uh, you know, you're a nurse or a doctor. Um, and, you know, like you said, it's, it's very, very alarming that there are so many People who work in the healthcare profession, and there are, you know, a sizable number of these people are nurses, nurse practitioners, um, who refuse to get the vaccine. And it's like, well, if you don't believe in science, what are you doing in the healthcare business? Maybe you should find, you know, I, I think Bonnie Henry in BC said this, maybe they should be finding a different job if you really don't believe in this stuff. Um, it, but, you know, the, uh, the, the Ford government you know, just decided that they weren't going to impose vaccine mandates um, in a, in, for, for, uh, for healthcare workers. But thankfully, a lot of the hospitals who do believe in science, and they do see firsthand the effects of uh, COVID decimating their ranks, they said, you know what, we're going to, okay, so there won't be a blanket one imposed by the province as a, as a business, as a healthcare facility, we are imposing one. And you get vaccinated or you don't have a job. Um, and the, the numbers have shown, you know, Quebec had a, had, had a bit of a problem, but a lot of people will go get the vaccine if they are told that, uh, you know, it, it is a condition of their employment. Well, that's where the headiness of being part of a cause starts to give way to the reality of uh, putting food on the table and you start to lose your zeal for willing to go down with the ship at that point in time. And maybe there are people amongst them, there probably are, who legitimately are afraid of this vaccine. I mean, I, 
their fear is unfounded. Their fear is based in fear mongering and in ignorance, uh, but they are actually afraid. Uh, you know, not everybody's smart. Um, and they may be more willing to lose their jobs than to accede to the wishes of their employer and get vaccinated. And I think for some of them, it's become such an identity piece that surrendering at this point in time would feel like a personal loss, like a personal defeat, uh, as opposed to I'm accepting consequences that uh, are going to affect my life. They'll see it as a personal defeat. They'll see it as them, you know, uh, chickening out. Um, and that's not the kind of thought space you want discussion of vaccines to be in. But that is the thought space that discussions of vaccines have moved into for those who are still holding out. Um, yeah. I've got family. I don't know if they eventually got vaccinated because they had to fly to the States. Um, and I don't know if the airlines are requiring vaccination, proof of vaccination. Um, but they were saying that they're not going to get the vaccine for nonsense reasons. Uh, hasn't been out long enough, hasn't been tested. It was rushed through. You know, all these things that, you know, we talked about last week. Unless you have a grounding in that area of immunology uh, and virology, you can't properly assess the information that's coming out that is contrary to what is being said. You just don't have the grounding in it. You don't have the knowledge. You can't properly assess whether what these people are saying is hokum or not. Um, but we don't, you know, I don't, I don't ask them about it anymore because I don't need family troubles based on this. It's very disappointing. Um, but I wonder whether they've gotten vaccinated because they just, you know, the reality was that they needed to, to, to have their livelihood and to, to get around. Yeah. And, you know, the, the most distressing thing is the messaging that is coming out of the provincial government, the Ontario provincial government, uh, just, just this past week has been that, okay, you know, we, we're going to, uh, we've got a vaccine passport, which, you know, everyone has screamed and yelled about it and everyone, you know, but then everyone downloaded it. I mean, it's, it's, it's not been, I've, I've been a couple of places where I've had to show it. I've been actually kind of, kind of proud to show it. It's like, here, yeah, I've got it here somewhere. And, you know, and it's great to do it. And then you go in and you live your life. And, you know, you think about all the opposition and all the screaming, all the yelling about it. And now it's just like, eh, it's a piece of paper you show, you know, everyone knows how to scan it and everyone, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, but, the Ford government has recently been saying, yeah, we just brought this in, but you know what, we're, we're looking forward to phasing this thing out maybe as early as January the 1st. And, you know, we're, you know, we're maybe looking at getting rid of mask mandates uh, shortly after that and all kinds of other things, which are just, I mean, these, what makes me mad, it, this is just electioneering. This is just playing to the anti-vaxxers who include, I think, you know, a lot of people who would uh, probably vote conservative, including um, his daughter, including the premier's daughter. Oh, yeah, she's you know, if, if she's uh, she's busy on Instagram where I'm not busy. But apparently, you know, she posts all kinds of, you know, all the crazy conspiracy theories. And, uh, you know, and, and she's a big I think she's a she's like a, a homeopathic uh, remedy uh, herbal person, too. 
um, who's you know is sure that this is just a way and that masking itself is is just a way of conditioning people to uh, to uh, to submit to authority. It's like oh, no, come on, it's, it's to keep you from coughing your germs on people. It's it's a little bit different, um, you know. It, uh, but yeah, she, uh, you wonder where people pick up this kind of stuff. But I mean, the thing that the Ford government is doing is it is telegraphing to the anti-vaxxers that if you just hang on a little bit longer then it'll be over and you won't have and you'll have got through this whole thing without having had to get a vaccine um so you know if we tell you that you know if you just stick it out to january 1st maybe it'll all go away i mean i doubt it myself that it will go away i think we're looking at uh, you know something rumbling in the bottom it may be more loosening but uh, you know the, i think the disease will still be around providing it doesn't mutate again into something even worse um but the, the message that, you know, putting an end time on this, I understand about wanting to give people hope and all the rest, but the reality is every prediction about this disease has been wrong, about how long it was going to last and who would affect and, and all the rest. And to say now, like, you know, the end is in sight. So what does that tell to the anti-vax people? It says, you know what, you're right to hold out. Um, just uh, if you can get yourself a fake vaccine passport, uh, you know, find a doctor who will give you a fake exemption. If you just, uh, you know, tease out your, your, your job a little bit longer and, and oppose mandatory vaccinations, make it as difficult for employers as possible, maybe you can get through this whole thing without ever having to get the vaccine. And I think that's a terrible message. Yeah. Um, you know, plan, uh, hope for the best, plan for the worst. And this is the opposite what the Ford government is doing, they are planning for the best. They are, you know, they've just recently allowed full capacity in a lot of places that were limited capacity. Strip clubs. Yeah, strip clubs, <laughs> full capacity. Um, if, so, so the prudent thing is wait for a period of time. See what happens. Does this result in another uh, blip, another growth uh, arc? in the illness if it doesn't okay um wait a little while and then think about phasing out the vac vaccine passports maybe in march you know let, let's let's walk slower considering as you said predictions have all been wrong and this illness uh has a way of throwing curveballs at us with our planning uh, let's be prudent in the way this is done. And you want to get rid of the mask mandate? May, you know, if providing that all of these uh, changes, the, these relaxation of rules doesn't lead to a resurgence, then May or June, you know, when it starts to get warm, get rid of the masks at that point. But he's rushing it on a timetable. Um, it's being yeah. driven by the election. Yeah, it's and it, it could come back to bite them in the ass if the numbers go back up again. Yeah, but they will never shut down again. I mean, because no. it's always been about the economy. It's not been about the people, except for the fact that, you know, the people help you run the economy. Yeah. Uh, you know, you need workers, you need uh, you need factories, you need your supply chain. You need, and, and we do. We need a lot of this stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not. Not prepared to go without toilet paper or food or, or all that you know all those uh, all those little uh, luxuries but uh, you know conservatives have always been more interested in making sure that the business does not 
falter and at the you know and it could be at the price of your workforce getting sick i mean as long as your workforce doesn't get so sick that it can't function anymore um but i don't think ford will ever shut down again i mean it, no matter how bad it gets and i hope it doesn't get as bad as it has been at different times you know at the moment you know the r factor is well below one which is great uh, you know our numbers seem to be you know stable but you know we're still getting we're still getting five to ten people dying a day in ontario of it um you know and and as we said before our fully vaccinated rate of canadians over the age of 12 is pretty much stuck at 85 percent it, it you know it, it it's going up by tenths of a percent uh, whenever they update the numbers. It's not going up in full full numbers anymore. And all of a sudden, now we got the kids. We got to get vaccinated and uh, booster shots. And you know, I'm I'm Club AstraZeneca, so I'm actually in line for a booster shot, um, which I will you know I will scramble and be one of the first people to get that too, uh, just to get it out of the way because I want to get back to normal and I don't want to, I don't want to kill anybody around me. So, but you know, a lot of people are just holding their breath and hoping they get through this and go, you know what, acceptable losses, um, you know, long-term care homes. I mean, that has been, been the poster boy for acceptable losses during the pandemic. It's like, well, we're making a lot of money and uh, you know, we, if, if we kill off a lot of old people, there's lots more old people to take their place. So as a business model, it's not going to hurt us particularly. Yeah. And there's such a shortage of spaces for people who need uh, long-term care that you, you know, you're not going to place yourself in a spot where people say, I don't want to go there. People die there. Uh, people will go there because they have no other choice because of the, the dearth of spaces. Uh and yeah, we're into the acceptable losses phase, which we talked about many podcasts ago. We said they're going to reach a point where we start talking about acceptable losses because it's not going to be zero. And so we're going to have to reach a point where we determine we're willing to allow a certain number of people to die from this. Um, most of them have comorb comorbidities. It's very rare for somebody to, who's healthy um, and in of a you know a good age and vital to get COVID and die, it's it's unlikely. I think that COVID is going to be the new pneumonia, which pneumonia is the thing that usually takes uh, elderly people who are sickly. It usually it you know very often pneumonia comes and that's that's the final for them. You know yeah. the reaper is, is standing by. I mm -hmm. think that uh, COVID will be you know hanging out with uh, pneumonia and it'll be something that becomes a part of our lives that we're we're familiar with um my you know my big concern is i don't think this is the only pandemic we're going to see in our lifetimes um and what do we do if something comes out worse that's you know that's in the back of my head i really don't believe this is the only pandemic we're going to see um no, I hope and, I'm wrong. No, and you know, and, and my concern, you know, you know, obviously, you know, people with comorbidities and, and advanced age dying of it uh, is is terrible enough. But you know, I, I liken COVID actually to a lot of rock stars who did a ton of drugs in their twenties and thirties, um, because the long haulers of COVID uh, start exhibiting 
symptoms and 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 problems later in life i mean whether it's uh, they've got problems with um, with heart tissue they've got problems with brain tissue they've got problems with um, immune systems you know it, it's like uh, you know every time you, you you hear a rock star they kind of explode at like 55 years old and it's because they did a lot of drugs back in the 20s uh, when they were in their 20s and uh COVID is a lot like that in terms of what it does to your body, especially if you get it and you're young and you don't die of it and you don't have any comorbidities. It weakens your system in all kinds of ways What we're just starting to understand. That may mean that those people who get it and survive it are going to be in really, really bad health 20 years from now, 30 years from now, and will we'll either have very expensive healthcare issues that uh, society is going to have to deal with or are going to die of some other comorbidity, which you can relate back to them having had COVID when they were in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, so I think there's all these hidden time bombs of health problems that COVID is going to have well over and above the number of people you see dying every day of it. You know, I'd like to close this on a positive note, at least a positive what, that note. That wasn't positive enough? <laughs> <laughs> rah, rah. A uh, positive note for me, which is that uh, Adamson's Barbecue, the, uh, the joint, barbecue joint that had become a rallying point for anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers. In, a, in uh, an industrial park with no in health certificates. Yes. yes. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it lacked licenses, business licenses and had bad health reviews. Um, they've they said they're closing, they've closed all of their locations because they refused to bend a knee to, to tyranny which is what they were uh, calling the vaccine passports or the, uh, the proof of vaccination. They score one you know, for tyranny. Yeah. They, <laughs> you know, they, they dressed it up as, you know, not bending a knee to tyranny. Um, when there had been a lot of stories that said that the, the places were not financially doing well, they hadn't paid rent in months um, and they likely would have gone under anyway. Uh, but he dressed it up like putting a bow tie on a turd. Um, and I, when I hear that the vaccine passports aren't going to be around for that long, I kind of laugh because if he really did close his business and shut down his livelihood because of a vaccine passport that really would have only discomfited him for a few months, ha ha. <laughs> it's hard to feel bad about some things, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I don't even try. <laughs> <laughs> all right Stephen. it's uh, been a pleasure talking to you always a pleasure and uh, Stephen lawton's can be found on twitter at, at Stephen lawton's s-t-e-p-h-e-n-l-a-u-t-e-n-s i'm Stephen kersner you can find my work at newmusicnation.ca where we uh, showcase really good music videos and really good music from independent artists across canada that don't have any other venue uh, or platform to show off their work and uh, I'm constantly impressed by how good this stuff is and how varied the music is. So check it out, newmusicnation.ca. And uh, that's it. Talk to you again next week, Stephen. Looking forward to it. Uh, he is Stephen Lawton's. I'm Stephen Kersner, and this has been Stephen and Stephen. <laughs>